This is the episode for Sunday, March 5th, 2023. It is not safe for work. Let's get started. Today is March 5th, 2023. This is episode 31 of Sunday Morning Manga. I am Derek S. McGrath. My pronouns are he, him, his. I live stream here every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern on Twitch and YouTube. A video recording is available Sunday afternoons on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You can read my writing on WordPress and other sites at Derek S. McGrath. And you can email me at derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. Every Sunday, there is a live reaction to a new manga chapter. Usually. But as I'm preparing for next weekend's milestone chapter of Witch Watch and with a new one-shot manga out this week by Kai Kamiki, let's look at Kamiki's previous manga series. Today, we'll talk about Maguchan God of Destruction Chapter 32. Chapter 32 of Maguchan God of Destruction is written and illustrated by Kai Kamiki, translated into English by Christine Daschle, with lettering by Erika Terekes. This series is licensed in the United States by Viz, which you can read at their website, viz.com slash shonenjump slash chapter slash magu-chan-god-of-destruction. You can find links to Magu-chan and other content on my website, DerekSMcGrad.wordpress.com. There's also a script there that you can read along while enjoying today's episode. And make sure to get vaccinated and mask up there, people. We're not out of COVID yet. If you like what you're hearing, please consider a monetary contribution. Putting together this stream takes a bit of work and your tips help pay down costs for sub and subscriptions. One-time contributions can be sent to coffee.com slash Derek S. McGrath. And you can subscribe monthly at patreon.com slash Derek S. McGrath for early access to content. Thank you for your consideration. And speaking of content on Patreon, right now you can get early access to my audio commentary for Episode 9 of Bungo Stray Dog Season 4. This episode requires a ton of content warning, so be aware before you get into that episode or the audio commentary for it. You can check out that audio commentary, which you can listen to while you watch Bungo Stray Dogs on Crunchyroll. You can hear that commentary now at the $5 tier at patreon.com slash Derek S. McGrath. This audio commentary will be available for free on Tuesday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to my coffee and Patreon contributors, including Emily Lauer, Alec Roach, and Alexis Duran, I appreciate your financial support. Purchases on my Amazon wishlist are also appreciated. Link is in the description. And now, on to today's reaction. This time, we're looking at Chapter 32 of Maguchan God of Destruction. Instead of a live reaction, we're discussing Chapter 32 of Maguchan, which first came out about two years ago, on February 21st, 2021. Why talk about a two-year-old manga chapter? Well, Maguchan creator Kai Kamiki had a new one-shot manga come out on Monday. Two bad viz and no one else has it legally available for me to read 
from just the preview images I've seen, the new one-shot titled Salamandra no Shushin. I am not doing very well with Japanese, so I'm guessing there is a pun there given the main character Salamander-like features. From just the preview images, we seem to have a prisoner who I guess can turn into an oxalotl. Forgive mispronunciation of that species. From just the visual look, it seems a little bleaker than Maguchan, given that this is a character who looks to be a prisoner. Then again, it's not as if Maguchan started out of the most delightful origins. It begins with a Lovecraftian god demanding sacrifices by humans before that creature is defeated by a chivalric order in bloody combat, and then the series swiftly transitions into a slice of light tale. So, uh, who knows what kind of tonal whiplash Salamandra no Shushin would offer. I would like to know what it offers, so Viz, hint, hint, please license this one-shot soon. So, since I can't talk about that new one-shot, I still want to talk about something Kamaki made, and I want to look at Chapter 32 because it upends one of my least favorite storytelling devices. One of the... I can't call it a trope, so a political strategy, I guess... One of the political strategies that annoys me the most in messaging is the idea of how food can cross differences and help create bridges between disparate groups. I despise this strategy, not because it has bad intentions or even necessarily bad results. It's more so because it's a shallow strategy. In my opinion, it's the equivalent of saying... If only you would enjoy Mexican food, then you'll be less of a bigot towards Mexican people. No, it doesn't work that way. I don't want to get into a debate about cultural appropriation, seeing as there are ways to be inspired by the work from a group of people that you don't belong to, and not to assume it or take it as your own, but to use it in a way that expresses what you want while also making it painfully obvious where it came from and acknowledging that source. The we-can-use-food-to-overcome-differences feels like the practice of a more powerful group taking more power and acting like I'm doing you a courtesy by sharing the meal that comes from your location, your group. It's a power play. It feels like subsuming rather than I am trying to engage with you and recognize traditions, values, cultures in order to have a discussion, to open the door to a discussion. In a lot of literature, it comes across to me like cultural tourism rather than a willingness to engage with people where they are coming from and actually listening to the ideas and arguments and having a fair debate it comes across as a quick shorthand to suggest look at the progress being made when that's not how our reality works. And I know I'm talking about a storytelling trope and stories don't have to reflect reality perfectly, but it feels like the wrong message is being taken. So, very serious topic about how do you cross differences in terms of culture, politics, whatever. So, 
what does that have to do with a funny Japanese comic about Lovecraftian chibi gods bonding over a meal? Let's answer that question by jumping into today's live reaction. Or rather, jumping into today's non-live reaction. This is Chapter 32 of Maguchan God of Destruction. The series is written and illustrated by Kai Kamiki, translated into English by Christine Daschle, with lettering by Erica Turekes. The series is licensed in the United States by Viz, which you can read at their website, viz.com. Starting on page one, we see the three main shibi gods we have known so far in this story. The titular Magu Menulek, the greedy Naputaku, and the trollish Juneris. But there are two new additions, the lower god of despair named Zanzege, and the lower god who looks like a crab named Gula. And those two lower gods are terrified to see a boiling pot for tonight's gathering, expecting they are about to be cooked and eaten. We see on page 2 the title of this chapter, which is Fearsome Dark Hot Pot Hell. We then get a flashback to the previous day, with an unseen narrator with a distinctive text block providing some additional explanation. While Naputaku, the starfish-shaped greedy god, is shopping, he's amazed how cheap the cabbage is. But while Naputaku has improved at his cooking, he doesn't know what to do with the cabbage. How do you prepare it? What kind of a meal does it go into? Thank goodness he runs into our other main character, the cheery human middle schooler Ruru. Ruru explains that cabbages go into hot pots. Too bad Naputaku doesn't know what that is. Ruru says Naputaku already has his gas range, so with the recipe she gives him, he can run off and cook. Kind of like collecting a recipe in Animal Crossing, and you just memorize it and go about your day. Naputaku runs back home, imagining how he will soon become an amazing cook with this new recipe. During his run home, he runs into Magu and Yuneris. Yuneris starts to troll by claiming she's on a date with Magu, before Magu, in his usual matter-of-fact way of speaking, says, actually, we're here to catch up on all the weird supernatural happenings that were taking place in the previous chapters. But that doesn't really matter, because this is a filler chapter. Mostly. We'll get to why this chapter is kind of important for what comes next in the story. Anyway... Yunera says that a hot pod isn't enough. These three are gothic gods, so why not make it a dark hot pot? This excites the wickedly ravenous Magu, but Naputaku is a scaredy cat. But once Naputaku figures out that a hot pod is a communal dish, that means everyone else can bring the ingredients, and it saves on his budget, so why don't they rope in more people? or in this case, gods. That's why Zanze Gay and Gula are here to bring the budget down even more. Kind of like trying to animate with just a bunch of flashbacks. We return to the story as it began. It is 2 a.m. The gods are in their club room at Ruru's school. And this is as good a time to talk about how this chapter succeeds at avoiding the food helps people overcome their differences trope that I didn't like. 
I'm not saying we're not going to end up with that as a plot device, but for now, all of this is just to establish who our characters are, especially for new readers. As with other chapters of Maguchan, though, the character propelling the action for this chapter isn't actually our titular character. I mean, sure, Ruru is the one who had the recipe, but notice it's not Butaku who motivates most of the action in this chapter. Sure, Yuneris is a troll and she's going to get in the way, but there's a reason Naputaku was the breakout character of the series, who won even the poll for the most popular character of the series. That's because he has an actual personality. I'm not ignoring Magu's personality, I'm not ignoring where his story goes and how it wraps up, but honestly, so much of his character progression seems to have been delayed until the very last chapter of the series. He's a rather static character with predictable actions. That's good for the sake of setup and punchline comedy, but doesn't really help narrative progression. Meanwhile, Naputaku is not static and is actually quite a flexible character. This is the Chuck Jones era Daffy Duck of this series. And that includes all the roles Daffy fulfilled in the Chuck Jones era are the same roles Naputaku fulfills in this series. Do you need a character whose greed will propel the action of the story? You got Naputaku. Do you need a coward who can be the comedy relief as he gets wound up by bigger bullies? You got Naputaku. Do you need an underdog who will actually come in when the chances of success are low and you need to put a bet on the most unexpected hero of the story. That unexpected hero of the story, that is Naputaku. And that, it is Naputaku's motivation to be a great chef and his penny-pinching to rope in the other gods and his desire to be the center of attention. All of that is what gets this story where it needs to be. None of his story, none of Naputaku's story is about trying to understand another culture. If anything, it's Yuneris who is most interested in learning about cooking. And even then, it's for her typically shallow reasons. That being that she saw a hot pop once in an anime, so that is why she is trying to get into this. That being said... I can't sit here and act like gaining into food for supposedly shallow reasons because you saw it in an anime is entirely bad. I don't want to act like anime as an entry point to learning about Japanese culture is entirely bad. You only learn something by first encountering some part of it. So what if you learned about a culture first by food, or by animation, or music, or fashion, or history, or literature? Aren't these all valid enough ways to get you into a new set of knowledge, and I hope learning where humanity has gone and can go, without exoticizing, without fetishizing, but just to learn why humans are valid and deserve respect regardless of differences in Again, food, animation, music, fashion, history, literature, regardless of differences in cultures and traditions, so long as we aren't using that culture and those traditions to hurt others. But 
that's a diatribe, so let me get back to reacting to the chapter page by page. This is where we see food still used as a way to cross bridges. Up to now, Zanzenge and Gula have been largely joke characters in this series. They're repeatedly referred to as rankless, that they don't even rank when it comes to the gods. Now we start to vary their characterizations. Zanzenge and Gula were introduced around the same chapter, but their personalities don't really come across as different to us until we start getting to see this kind of work in this chapter. Zanze Gay is the godly embodiment of depression itself. Zanze Gay is that moment in Soul Eater where everyone is lined up and depressed because of Krona's poem. Zanze Gay is the source of that kind of depression. By contrast, Gula shows they have just as as much ambition as Naputaku does. So we already set up those differences. Anze Gay is the one who's going to sit back, be the Eeyore, be the depressed character. Gula is ambitious. They're adamant, like literally adamant. They have a super strong shell. So of course their personality would be just as much of a go-getter, wanting to get out there and make things happen. But whereas Naputaku actually has put his ambition into practice, we haven't really gotten a chance to see Gula make the attempt themselves. So when Naputaku complains how the hot pot requires constantly skimming the surface, Gula is the first one to step up. They form a mesh ladle with their claws to help prepare the meal. From the standpoint of how you tell a story, this is really good by Kamaki to set up characterization and say, oh, okay, Gula is the kind of character who would do this in this kind of a situation. They want to be useful, and even if it's just being a literal kitchen tool, they'll take it because it gets them some attention. Zanze Gay wouldn't do anything and just stay depressed. Gula would make a big deal out of a very minor success they had. This is how we are also bridging differences by using foods. I'm not saying that entirely calms down my concern about reducing food as a way of selling differences, but it is a more clever approach, that being just utilitarian. Gula can form a literal tool, they use that tool, now Naputaku's work is easier. If anything, you could probably make a better story about what helps us sell our differences is actually working together on a project that has its political dimensions where we can overcome differences to work on a, say, project, just like these characters sell their differences by working together to make a meal. I know that I'm saying, oh, so if we work together, we can complete a project. Yeah, we're going to see the reality of that at the end of this chapter. Sometimes you can be on the same page and still screw something up terribly badly for the sake of a joke. Too bad that while Gula is being useful, Zanze Gay just depresses themselves further. So they see Gula offering their literal body as a kitchen tool. So Zanze Gay gets the idea and says, oh, um... Why don't you take the water out of my bowl and you can use that to clean the meal and even cook the meal, even though Zanze Gay would die without having the water? Yikes. 
It's a good thing Uneris now turns the lights off to set the mood for the Dark Hot Pot, as, probably not surprisingly, that calms down Zanze Gay. They like being in the dark because they're already so depressed. Too bad that scares the other gods. And the lack of light isn't helping them eat the meal either, because Naputaku greedily says he'll take the first bite out of the hot pot he was cooking, and he chomps down into a whole styrofoam box of natto, something Magu dumped in whole, not even emptying the contents, because he doesn't have the cooking know-how that Naputaku does. This infuriates both of them. Naputaku is angry that Magu is ruining the meal. Magu is angry that his ingredient is being insulted. Uneris tries to calm down the tensions by saying, you know, it's a dark hot pot. You don't have any light. Of course you don't know what's in there. That's part of the fun. That only infuriates the other gods because it now dawns on them Yuneris knew something like this would happen. She knows these kind of storytelling tropes, these kind of jokes, and they realize, oh, Yuneris knew something wacky would happen, and this is all for her typical anime tropes sake of comedy. She admits she also snuck in some magical ingredients to spice up the story, I mean, the meal. So, yeah, now they're even angrier realizing this is going to end badly for us, something bad's going to happen because of the magical ingredients. So, we'll talk about how they tried to get around that, and it still doesn't work for them. To get around Uneris' trick, the others decide, okay, let's just eat the ingredients we put in the hot pot, we know what we bought, and then we won't get stuck with whatever Uneris added to the meal. Again, this is showing the flaw to the trope that food brings us together. I mean, yeah, this is going to be undermined at some point, but at least we have an argument here to show that meals hardly only bring us together. You wouldn't have so many bad family dinners, especially around Thanksgiving, if differences could be settled so easily over just one meal. Magu grabs his own ingredient, that being the natto, and he starts to obsess about it. And if you have read previous chapters, you know what you're getting into. He goes on and on about the food only at the level of just its texture and how much sustenance and nutrition it provides. Only getting the raw materials from the food to turn into strength and power for his tiny body. He's not getting satisfaction from flavor or presentation. You could put in all the work to make it taste good and look good, and his only review will be, well, it gave me plenty of energy, so I guess it's good. But this time, something different happens. He gets rather poetic. I want to pause to commend how well the translators for this series differentiate voices for all the characters. Magu's gothic monologue in this chapter about how good his meal is, it's like a literal poem. And that is so well accomplished, and credit to Kai Kamaki as author, but also credit to English translator Christine Daschle for localizing this, to give it a flair of gothic poetry to communicate what kind of a personality Magu has. Too bad the other gods aren't as easily satisfied. Gula, again showing how he differs from fellow rankless god Zanzenge and fellow ambitious god Naputaku lashes out at Uneris. Like, this is if you imagine Gula because of being a crab, you know those internet videos of crabs with knives? 
you kind of imagine at this moment Gula just kind of poking a knife at Uneris, acting like, back off, don't do this. Gula, as I said, is the god who is adamant. They have a strong shell. So, of course, they are stubborn, and they're upset that Uneris did all of this just to watch them eat to satisfy her own trope-heavy plots. Magu agrees and challenges her to eat herself instead of just watching them eat. So she does, and Kamaki hides her eating in shadows, cutting away to show the other gods' reactions, and you can only see the sound effects of her eating. And it is so creepy because Uneris's method of eating is so inhuman that, as you will expect for something Lovecraftian, the point isn't what you see is frightening. It's what you can't imagine as the most horrifying. Now that Uneris has finished her meal, she brings us back to what she said in the beginning of the chapter, which is her and Magu's date to catch up on everything that has happened in recent chapters. Remember how I said this was a filler chapter, but not really? Yeah, this is what we're getting into. We're kind of getting a recap, but also a recap to explain to us what is coming next in the story. She asked Gula how they happened to just show up in the same town where Magu was washed up. Gula isn't one for thinking things through and says, well... They were just told by someone that Magu was in this town, so go challenge them, and if you win, you'll be able to say you have a higher rank than Magu. Magu interrupts Gula to say, this is all too coincidental, which means someone is hunting him. Things are a little vague here, unfortunately pointing us into the same positions that Naputaku then finds himself in. Naputaku speaks up and says, what is everyone else talking about? And we in the audience ask the same thing. What is everyone talking about? So Magu tells Naputaku to shut up if he doesn't understand and let those who do keep talking. Yeah, that's a rather rude way of telling the readers that they need to wait as well and that an explanation will come soon. Just wait for a later chapter. Thus is the curse of serialized narratives. Before Uneris can answer Naputaku's questions, Naputaku lets out a groan, and then Gula lets out a groan. The lights turn on to show Gula has now grown into a very tall crab, while Naputaku is swole and muscular. So, a trick passed down the Armstrong line for generations. Here we further establish how similar these two ambitious gods are, as they're now excited to get more and more powerful from this meal. Whatever Uneris spiked the hot pot with has made them grow. So, insert Rhea Repulsa joke here. Gula and Naputaku start getting all roided out and start to rumble, upsetting Gonze Gay. Like, literally upsetting them. They're knocked out of their bowl of water. Magu tries to ignore this fight just to eat more of his own natto, but because Ganze Gay fell out of their bowl, they latch onto Magu, and that infects Magu with Ganze Gay's depression, and Magu ends up spilling all of his entire natto dish onto the floor. Magu, now furious and depressed, channels all of his power into one energy beam, blowing up the school club room including knocking the door off of its hinges. 
The next morning, Ruru arrives to find everyone depowered from the meal and the fight, and the club room is a mess. With her typical running gag, Ruru ties up the little gods and has them spend the next day cleaning up. So, final thoughts on this chapter? As I said at the beginning, the food brings us closer together trope bothers me. It isn't that easy for a good meal to overcome differences. Sometimes people are still going to disagree. If anything, maybe these kind of meal scenes are more about showing what we expect. We expect closeness, togetherness, that Norman Rockwell Thanksgiving dinner scene. And what we get instead is just vitriol. Not to spoil too much what I read about the latest Ant-Man movie, but you seem to set up the meal scene to show what we expect, that being family togetherness, only to have everyone bickering to show just how unfamily the scene is. It's a moment of contrast to say, you expected this, and you got this instead. Think of that early meal scene at the beginning of The Mitchells versus The Machines. That kind of an idea. I wish this chapter was a better example I could use for what I want to prove, but that's not what the chapter is designed for. It's designed to entertain. And on its own, this chapter works really well. It's episodic enough to be full of gags while retaining just a bit of flashbacks and just a bit of setup for future chapters to make this part of the larger serialized story. That being about who is hunting down Magu and what they are hoping to accomplish. It establishes a mystery that keeps going, and I appreciate that. All in all, it is a fun chapter that I recommend reading. If you want to see how meals succeed and fail at bringing people together, or bringing tiny gods together, but also, Magu-chan is just a delightful series that you need to read. If you have a Viz subscription, check it out. It's a relatively short run, but it's a really good story. There's maybe one really awful chapter that has very colonialist and offensive in its presentation, but yeah. But other than that, just a series that ended way too soon. It does get to tell a complete story. It is going to break your hearts, but yeah, go check out Magu-chan at the Viz website, viz.com slash Jump. I'll wrap up there. Thanks for listening to this week's Sunday Morning Manga. What do you think of that storytelling trope of using food to reach consensus in disagreements between people? Please share your remarks in the comment section or send me an email, derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. As a reminder, keep your feedback respectful. We're cultivating an anti-bigotry space here. More on that in a moment. If you did like what you heard, please let me know. Contributions at coffee.com slash Derek S. McGrath and patreon.com slash Derek S. McGrath are appreciated. Please include a note to let me know what you liked in the episode and what you would like to hear more of. And your contributions give you the opportunity to recommend works for me to cover each week. You can join other coffee and Patreon contributors such as Emily Lauer, Alec Roach, and Alexis Duran. Thank you all for your support. And if you like what you heard or didn't like what you heard, please check out these other people's awesome stuff. A blog roll of recommended people to visit is at my website, DerekSMcGrath.wordpress.com. But for now, I want to focus on four creators. First, two creators, 
Ichiro's and Eve. Both accept commissions for their art, so while you order something from them, why don't you go check out their recent stream of Animal Crossing, showing off festival in the game and a fairground they are building on their island. You can watch now twitch.tv slash eve underscore chi underscore and learn how to commission from them at twitter.com slash ichi underscore rose underscore. Second, Golden Sun Deer created artwork of characters from today's manga featuring Maguchan along with Maka Albarn from Soul Eater. Check out their artwork at the link in the description and commission their art at twitter.com slash golden sun deer. Finally, check out the writing of media critic, historian, illustrator, creator overall, Jeff Harris. Links to his PayPal and Amazon wishlist are in the description. But also check out Jeff's work on the YouTube video, The Book of Tsunami by the Sundoku Zone about the first Thundercats animated series. A link to that YouTube video is also in the description. And one more thing before we wrap up today. You may have noticed some recordings, podcasts, transcripts, and posts from previous live streams and other content are no longer available on YouTube, Substack, or elsewhere. They are gone right now. There is a reason for that. I'm not going to say why they are gone except to say the following. Black history matters. Education matters. Libraries and book access matter. Trans rights matter. The ability to live your life without being afraid of being harmed for who you are matters. Gay rights matter. Abortion access, birth control, STI protection, sex education, and body autonomy matter. Being able to live with disabilities because we make our world accessible and because we vaccinate and mask up to protect others, that matters. Clean water, clean air, they matter. Inclusivity, diversity, equity, anti-bigotry, they matter. Anti-fascism matters. Voting matters. Human rights, including the right to speak and to write, matter. Being an ally, fighting against eradication of entire groups of people, Using your platform to speak up when you see injustice, all of that matters. And there is so much more that matters that I'm not mentioning here, only partially due to time and how much I'm repeating things for emphasis. But unless something changes to better protect all of what matters, that is all I will say. You can check for updates on my platforms, WordPress, YouTube, Twitch, Whenever things can change for the better. That's all for today. Next Sunday, we'll look back at Witch Watch with a live reaction to its milestone 100 chapter. Stay safe out there, people. Make sure to mask up, get vaccinated, register to vote, campaign against fascism, and learn and practice anti-bigotry. Until next Sunday, I've been Derek S. McGrath. You have a good afternoon. Bye. Sunday Morning Manga is intended for information and entertainment purposes only. It is not endorsed by any companies mentioned, any persons mentioned, or any financial contributors mentioned. All names, pictures, and sounds are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content is the intellectual property of the speaker, me, unless otherwise indicated. 
The views and opinions expressed on this live stream are those of the speaker, me, and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any other persons mentioned in this stream. Music today included the tracks titled Los Angeles by Music Production, Sunshine by Lemon Music Studio, and Blue Lagoon Party by username 23117649. These songs are royalty-free and available at Pixabay. Links are in the description.